so, all right. Mangus confirms that Ironbeak fears no living thing. Very clever little play on words there. Like that. Like, it's true. That same morning, Brother Dan, Gaffer the Mole, and Rolo are all making pancakes. Uh, pan, ear quotes, pancakes. Uh, they're, they're more, they're most likely flapjacks. Yeah, they're making a mess is what they're making. They're making a mess. They use green sap milk. So we get a confirmation of what kind of fucking milk they're Some using. Some of the time. Uh, yeah, at the time. is green sap milk, which is milk made from trees. I, I googled think, it and it's not a real thing. At least I didn't see, see uh. that it was. Like, when I googled green sap... Well, because the first thing I thought of was latex. Well, like, the first thing, like, when you Google green sap milk, literally the first hits are all Redwall. It's all Redwall. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, it's literally all Redwall, and, like, green sap is just not a real thing. It's not a real... It's probably something that, obviously, Brian made up based on, like, um, like, when you... Uh, cut dandelions, they'll yeah. uh, ooze, like, a white yeah. liquid. Uh, which is not latex, because you can eat dandelions. Yeah. But it's, it's like, I guess a kind of sap, so it could be that. Mm. But it is, again, or something we similar. have confirmation that they do have, like, a vegan alternative to milk. So that is finally confirmed. Yep, which, which is nice. Why do they call it milk? Because it's easier most of the time. Just Brian. <laughs> Listen, Brian, likes to, Brian did bad spec bio. He, he decided to throw a curveball at us this one time. Like, hey, y'all, if you're going to keep bitching, fine. Here's your here's your plants. The ghost of Brian. Like, listen, you motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all making pancakes. Supposedly. There's a lot of mess. A lot of eating. Very little cooking. Um, Rolo is literally just flipping the pancakes to the ceiling. Uh... The other two are just making a mess. Gaffer Mole is eating, like, all of the candy damsons. Brother Dan is trying to make the batter. Uh, Winifred catches them in the act of making a mess. Um, and there's a merry bit of chaos as they, like, run about trying to catch the pancakes that the enthusiastic flipping of Rolo had stuck to the ceiling. One lands on Rolo's head, and the absolute Don Bluth cartoonishness <laughs> of that image is my favorite fucking I admit, thing. part of me would really love to see a Don Bluth Redwall movie. I think that would be... God, that'd be so good. Would. I don't, like, honestly... Imagine Clooney God. in the, like, secretive Nim, like, yes. rat style. Like... Oh I, my I'll god, first I say, want it so bad. I'm not a fan of how Don Bluth animates his humans because he, like, 80% rotoscopes them, but I love his animal and, animation. And, like, he can draw, he can draw, like, Yeah, he can draw three, but that man can do good animals. He can, oh, absolutely. he's a very good animal animator. And then you can see his weird <laughs> fetishes. The teeth, why is it always the teeth? The fucking sorceress who turns into a I dragon. That was Don Bluth, though, was it? That's Don like, Bluth. I know it was his studio, but I don't know how much he actually was involved in that because it was like a really cheap. That's his animation. Okay. That is definitely yeah. him. Like, Don Bluth, sir. I don't know if he had anything to do with the writing of that scene, but like <laughs> the, I think the the lavishness of it. 
That's definitely. It, it, him. I feel like it's 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 such a, a a fun scene because you can tell the animator was just having a ball with it. It's so it horny. Is, but sometimes, sometimes, sometimes that is okay because you can tell the animator was having fun. <laughs> um, yeah. <it's>, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. We we both have like a love hate relationship with Don Bluth because he's also like he's kind of an ass, a weird person. Yeah. And an asshole. Because, like, his... his uh, but he was, like, like, DreamWorks before DreamWorks. Because his entire goal in life was to go, screw you, Disney, I'm better. Yeah, because Disney, like, fucked him up. Well, he, As they do. Well, the thing is, though, is that, like, he chose that fight. He worked for Disney. He didn't... He... It was an unfortunate situation where he chose to work for Disney when they were at one of their big financial lows. It was during the, um... I think... Did he work on the Black Cauldron? He was working on... He did work on the Black yeah, Cauldron. He was working yes. during the the Xenoscope era, where they just chose. They just they were like, we cannot afford to do inking because our studio's in trouble. And they discovered Xenoscoping, where they could just scan the lines and animate the lines. And it was a huge time save and money save for them. And he hated that. He was also like, they were taking so many shortcuts with the animation. They were reusing sequences. They were doing the easiest things they could do. Like, basically, they were, the studio was just trying to survive and trying to cut money. And personally, I love a lot of the Xenoscope era. But you watch oh, them and same. like you can tell they're they're sloppy and or they are trying to cut corners in a lot of ways um robin hood aristocats mm-hmm. uh oliver and company uh, that's at the very tail end of it um yeah that was very tail end but it's still there you can oh, yeah. see 101 it. dalmatians which is probably one of my favorite disney films dalmatians. but it was part of the xenoscope era um is xenoscope no xerox 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 might be it i anyway. don't know I, it's Xerox or Xenoscope. You're the one who went to animation school. I did school. not go to animation school. I did a couple of shitty years at ITT. I just, I'm an animation nerd, so I read a lot about it. Um, I almost <laughs> got into an animation school. I almost got into SCAD, but then circumstances saved my ass. So I actually did end up going there, which probably would not have ended well from all the stories I've heard. Um, yeah, SCAD is... Don't go to SCAD, guys. It's not worth it. You will have a better time going to smaller schools. If you have a local school with an animation option, take that over going to SCAD. They will drain you dry and leave you tired. Um, anyway, but... Yeah. Um, from from Georgia, where as an art student, I almost went to SCAD, uh, but then heard, you know, from people who had gone to SCAD... All the horror stories. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a friend who I was going to roommate with at SCAD. She got through, I think it was like her second or third year. And she said at that point, she knew enough that it was better for her to leave and save her money and just train herself than to stay at the school. Anyway, yeah. back to... The unfortunate thing is if you don't go to an animation school, getting into the industry is yeah, so But hard. back to Don Bluth. He wanted he wanted to make art pieces. He didn't want to be constrained by money. So while he was still working at Disney, he made an animation in his garage with like a couple other guys, I think it was. And it was this animation mm-hmm. of like a little alley cat. And he pitched this to Disney and Disney laughed him out of the board. Like, well, the, the Disney board, whatever. And they laughed him out of the room. Like, no, we don't have the time or the money for something like that. Like we need surefire hits and stuff that we can animate without breaking the bank. Like you, you, you don't understand. Like this is a business as much as an art form. Well, he didn't accept that and went to other studios. And finally he found a studio who would take him and he left Disney. 
but he chose to he chose to directly challenge Disney with some of the release dates of his movies. And I mean, you know what? He should have. Yeah, but Disney is a monolithic entity, yes. especially even at that time because we didn't have a whole lot of other studios. Like we had Danskin and we had or not Danskin. Whoever did fucking uh the last unicorn um that this well okay i know what studio actually animated it but the studio that like yeah. did it anyway but uh the problem is though is that even if his animations were good they aren't necessarily what people wanted to see at the time it, the big problem is is that a lot of his work fell into the animation age ghetto and then when he finally like struck contracts with people who would help fund his animations they wanted stuff similar to what disney was doing and then it was and then we get the really weird shit like uh all dogs go to heaven where we have demon hell they actually censored that movie too like the ray gun that was actually an actual tommy gun it was a real tommy gun that shot real bullets but the people who were funding the movie said we can't have that so they actually went in and reanimated it over to make it into a ray gun because somehow a ray gun is less traumatizing than an actual tommy gun <laughs> God, Don Bluth movies are wild because it's more fantastical. Yeah, yeah Don Bluth movies are fucking and like, weird. Also, in his defense, um, like his really bad ones, like A Troll in Central Park and The Pebble and the Penguin. Those I love Pebble and the Penguin. It's not a good movie though. I mean, I love it. You can love it, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> I love bad movies too. It's okay. Um, but those, like, those, and there was one on the other, but he was, like, under contract from some company in China, and it was, like, the, it, was, it was, like, half the company was in the U.S. and half the company was in China, and he was under contract with them, where they were, they were basically had almost full control over the movies, and they just kept meddling and meddling, which is why they're such bad movies. He actually didn't have a lot of say in how they came out. So he hates them just as much as... Anybody else does. You remember Thumbelina? I love Thumbelina. <laughs> it's so it's weird. It's so bad, but I love it. The mouse is so fucking weird. Dearie, marry them all. Okay, speaking of moles, let's get back to the actual story we're supposed to yeah. be talking about. Um, y'all enjoying these tangents, yeah, eh? Speaking, um, we are speaking of moles, Gaffer in. goes... Yeah. Speaking of moles, Gaffer goes to help the, the little fellow... Uh, eat the pancake off of his head. Uh, Cornflower uh, comes in and she's trying to be stern. And she's trying not to laugh, but then she just completely fails when a pancake just lands on her nose. Which, which, ow! And it gives them all a brief bit of merriment during their stressful, stressful situation. Just, that sounds painful to me, though, because, like, a mouse nose is sensitive and, like, a pancake falling off the ceiling thwap onto your nose. That sounds like it would kind of hurt. Also, like, yeah. Maybe. They're still half raw and they're already eating them. They're it's raw. If there's no eggs in yeah, it, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Because that's the reason we don't eat the raw. Besides the fact that it doesn't yeah, taste raw very pa- good. Yeah, raw pancake uh, batter doesn't taste good. It's the baking mm. soda. But also, I can't really eat. But pancakes. also, they don't have baking soda. Mm. So like. What are they using using as a well? It's probably. I was just gonna yeast. say it's probably yeast and or like you said, these are probably more like flapjacks than actual pancakes. So it's like so, a quick yeah. bread, but quick bread uses baking soda. Mm, flatbread doesn't though. I don't think. No. Although the flatbread recipes I, I use, 
Well, the, like one of the flatbread recipes I use, it doesn't even have any yeast. You use yogurt. But they don't have yogurt. Well, okay, yeah, they do. But anyway, how do they make yogurt from like green? Never mind. We, we can't. Was, that's yes. the weeds. That'd be even more in the weeds than yes. we just Back did. To, we need to finish this chapter, damn it. Let's go. <laughs> no. Outside, an injured bird of prey makes her painful way towards Redwall. She sees it as a sanctuary similar to the mountain she came from. <laughs> I'm divorcing Kit because Kit's note is... Deus Hawkina. With Divorce. a second note of, like, I'm amused that, like, Brian's solution to plot problems in this book is throw a bird at it. You have... I mean, you have works. Sir Harry who arrives out of nowhere. You have the sparrows who arrive to save them from an ambush. You have the crows and the rooks and, and Ironbeak who show up to give the Abbey the sea plot. Uh, you have a striker or strike red kite who shows up now as like, like strike the sea plot. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. The D plot. Um, but yeah. So Brian's solution in this book to all the problems, throw a bird at it. <laughs> I mean, it it works, works, and sometimes it works very well, which Strike does work well, which we will talk about later. Yeah. Uh, on the more southerly side of that dawn, we see the rescuers making the very last bits of preparation for the fight. Now, there's some trouble with the weasels, who are doing their best to beg for mercy. Basil rejects them, Sir Harry scorns them, and Orlando gives one a firm boot. But he does point out that the weasels' fearful complaints... We'll give them away before, excuse me, we'll give them away before they have a chance. So Matthias asks Sir Harry to fly them southward, since he won't be much help underground. Like, he won't be able to fly, he's not going to be able to move through the passages very easily. And Sir Harry agrees, even if he is a little bit offended. I mean, both sides are justified. And they, do they give him, yeah, they give him, like, the end of the rope that the weasels are tied to, and the weasels have to, like, keep up with Sir Harry as he mm. flies. And he's just like, if there's, if any of you try anything, I will kill you. Like, he's just like, no patience for these guys whatsoever. He's just gonna eat them. Hum nom nom. They're food now. His food. Trail snacks. The the others don't have to know. Still needs protein sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just imagining him, like, sneaking away to go eat proper food when he's tired of cakes and stuff. Like, I need some meat. He's the reason the old rabbit. <gasps> no, no, banned, <laughs> banned. I'm the one doing the divorce now. Get out. <laughs> no, he's too. The the old rabbit doesn't have enough meat on him. Still, get out. <laughs> Never. You're stuck with me I know me I deserve that, but I'm still mad at you. It's gonna take us actual years to completely get through this series. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> you're stuck with me for the long haul, okay? <laughs> <laughs> You've been stuck with me I for the long we, haul. We've already known each other for ten years. If we made it this long, I think we'll make it through bad puns and bad suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, okay, you're my best oh, friend. Ah, stop being cheesy. Let's go. No. <laughs> so Matthias preps to give the rest one last word before they go. He gives the shrews and those without children below one last chance to leave. Basil firmly rebukes the offer. His good friend's children are down there. He wouldn't dare come back empty-handed. Cheek says he likes Basil, even if he's a grumpy frump. So, of course, he's going. And Logalog, of course, is for it, and all of his shrews are with him. By now, 
Orlando is eager to go and ready to fight. He's just like, I- I'm pumped. Now we're- Let's go. Let's fucking go. Is this where the pace kind of picks it, up a little it bit? It does, also? which I was just like, oh, thank God. Yeah, it was a little bit slow at the start of this because like most of this really hasn't been that many chapters. I think we're only like halfway mm-hmm. through. It's, it's, uh, how many pages in the stock? Where do they, where is that on Google? I don't know where that is on Google. Anyway, anyway, um, but the, the book, it's a little bit of slow buildup. Like we focus a little bit more on the Abbey for a bit too. And it's like, it's, it's establishing Malcaris and establishing the kid situation before we kick off into the, um, the fighty fighty. Yeah. Cause honestly the situation with Malcaris is really bad. Uh, Speaking of, down below, the kids get their first look at the terrible fate awaiting for them. Nadaz presents them to Malkaris, or to the statue of Malkaris, who says they will be able to build for him. Maddie spots Vich and is eager to have another chance at him. Tess doesn't care either way. She speaks out loudly in defiance. I want to read it because it's mm-hmm. good. Let me get to it. Paper noises. Paper noises. Nope, that's too far. I accidentally went all the way to where Strike shows, like, properly shows up. That's... Kilbert without a word. Rose gave him a look of interdignity. Also, I'm very amused that in the Discord hangout, in the Discord call... Um, my icon looks like it's glaring up at you on my side. <laughs> I'm going to send you a Giazzo of that just because it's cracking me up. Oh, yeah. No, it is very, very funny. I can see it <laughs> as well. I'm just going to like, maybe I'll just drop that in the, um, drop that in the, uh, Discord without any context. <laughs> That'd be very funny. Uh, Okay. We get a sequence of the kids seeing the thin bedraggled forms of scores of young creatures, which is where we get that there's squirrels, otters, hedgehogs, and mice, and that rats are standing guard over them. We don't get any descriptions of any other kinds of vermin. They're numbed by the horror of it, and the new slaves were led before the statue and forced to bow their heads whilst Nadaz spoke to Malkaris. I am Nadaz, voice of the host. O ruler of all below earth, these are your new servants. What do you require me to do with them? The hairs rose on Matameo's neck at the sound of the voice emanating from the crystal-toothed statue's mouth. They have looked upon my kingdom. Soon they will have the honor of building it for me, it proclaimed. From his bowed position, Matameo glanced along the line. He saw Vich chained and held by two rats. The young mouse nudged Tess. Look who's there. Our little slave driver being rewarded for his services. I hope they chain me next to him for a while down here. Tess stamped her paw hard against the ledge, her eyes blazing. They can chain me next to who they like, but I am not building any filthy underground kingdom for a talking statue. The young church mouse's angry tones echoed around the rocky cavern. There was a brief silence, then Malchorus spoke again. Take them back and lock them away without light, food, or water. They are not ready to serve me yet. 
As they were led up the gloomy winding passages, Tess began to weep. Oh, I'm sorry I spoke out. I've caused you all to be locked in the dark and starved again. No, you haven't, Cynthia Bankful uh, said bravely. I'd rather starve than be beaten to death like those poor creatures. Cynthia has I'm gotten a second such a, in her. She's gotten so much better. Like, I love her growth. It's the trauma! No, but not just that. Well, she didn't become... It could, she could have also responded by becoming a weeping mess. Yeah. I'm a second in her. I don't worry, Tess. If you haven't spoken up, if you hadn't spoken out, I would have. That's it, friends. We stick together. Redwall! Madaweo's voice rang out like the Abbey bells. He was knocked flat by the butt of a spear before they were flung back into their darkened prison. Yeah. So, like, the kids, despite everything, are still like, fuck this, fuck you. Like, Brian is starting to whip out some of the big guns on on his writing here like he's really pulling out like some of the the like his voice ringing out like the bells of the abbey it's like it's 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 flowery it's flouncy but it's fun and it's good you you want to know something i just realized about this book the way that it's written it feels like it was meant to be read out loud over the course of like a while but you know what he did do that right yeah, he did. Because uh, he was writing books for his kids. <laughs> that, yeah. So this feels... Because like, reading this now and reading bits of it out loud, I'm reminded of when my dad would read like Lord of the Rings oh. and um, and uh, the Narnia books to me and my oh brothers. Oh my gosh, yeah. That would make sense. This feels like a book that should be read out loud, which would make a lot of the weird swaps make yeah. more sense. Yeah, okay. I think we finally figured it out, guys. <laughs> we figured it out. It's supposed to be read out loud. <laughs> over the course of, like, multiple nights, over, like, a couple of weeks to, like, mm-hmm. a few months. Yeah. You know? Because my dad would read to me and my brothers for an hour or two yeah. before bed. Because we would be fucking enraptured. Uh... I say as if I also wasn't playing with the uh, wax melter that my mom would keep next to the couch by dipping my fingers that's in it. Just, that's just a kid mood right there. Yeah, and it's also like an ADHD thing because I was listening and I was like deep in my own like imagination mm-hmm. as my dad was reading these books. But also I'd need something to mm-hmm. do with my hands. <laughs> uh, yeah, like this feels like something that if I had handed it to my dad and been like, read this. Yeah. He would have. And it would have been fan-fucking-tastic, because then it would have not felt as weird yeah. having all of these switches happen so fast. Because when you're reading out loud, it doesn't hit that quick. Or going through no. such a rapid pace summary like we are. Yeah. It definitely hits a lot slower, especially if you're reading it out over, like, a mm-hmm. few months. It definitely, like, it. it's not as... Yeah. Weird. You know? Uh, okay. Sorry, I just, I had that realization yeah. as I was reading that bit out loud, and I was like, oh. No, I'm glad you shared it. It's probably true. Like, <laughs> it's a very good point, and it explains a lot of, like, why we struggle with this book. We're not reading it quite the way it was intended. Yeah. Also, in our notes, there's one of my responses to Kit that just pops up as anonymous because when I'm doing Google Doc stuff on my phone, 
Sometimes when I make edits, it fucks up. I, I wondered about that. I was like, what happened there? Why are you... It fuck. It was just like, oh no, something broke. You have to revert your changes. But it just did that with my comment. Because I didn't make any textual changes. I was trying to make a comment. I literally spent five minutes trying to make a comment on moves out right there and it was just and it just it was like no you you you. aren't allowed to do this i'm not allowed to make a comment on this particular piece Mm -hmm. of text uh so in cavern hole we're in the next chapter the besieged face uh the besieged face a creeping sense of depression and the summer heat it's managed to penetrate even down into their haven. Mrs. Churchmouse wishes she could wet her paws in the pond, and Formal offers to escort the ladies to it via the mole tunnels. The abbot agrees, and the little expedition moves out expedition moves out while the abbot settles in for a nap. And <laughs> Formal says you know, they have the accent. He says age for booty. <laughs> Instead of age before Which I beg that when you get to this part of the recording or or splicing, please, please, please name it Age of Four Booty. I beg of you. (laughs) I'll make a note. I will will make a note. uh, I made a note of it. I think it deleted it somehow. Yeah, it's not in there. It's weird because I remember Uh, writing that down. Like, please make this the... Here, I will put it in the... Gen chat for okay, Abbey Archives. You. Name a for age a for booty. Name one of the Matsumeo episodes. Age a for booty. There we go. I will not forget. <laughs> if I do forget, uh, yeah. eh, I forgot. Uh, but just as like the abbot settles in for a nap and like. For him, it's, like, literally a moment later. Cornflower is, like, in a panic. She is back. Just, like, Abbott, you need to wake up. We've got to help it. Like, oh, my God. And Abbott's like, what? The Corvids are attacking a rust-colored bird of prey, and she is begging for the Abbott to help them save it. Constance just comes charging out of nowhere, like, out of the kitchen, saying she'll handle it and to send the moles after her. And she is covered in flour and holding a paw full of scallions. Like, it's such a great little detail. She was obviously helping yeah. cook lunch. And she drops everything uh, the, to go help this bird. Well, she actually, she yep. doesn't drop everything, bird, but... No, she's still holding it. Uh, she probably drops oh, it yeah. at some point. Uh, the birds had been aiming for the pond. The bird had been aiming for the pond, but was too weak to fight off the three rooks that took to attacking her. Constance, of course, handily bats them away. She knocks the bird. Uh, she also, as she's trying to get this massive bird into the tunnels, she just knocks it out. Because she's like trying to after peck her. Like, takes yeah. a few swipes at her and with the aid of Formal gets her into the tunnels. Like Stryker's just like, no, peck, peck. And she's just like, stop that. Bah. Yeah, and I she just she yeets one of the rooks into the pond. The other one she just bats like through the air. The third one is like loses nope. a few tail feathers to her bite. Yeah, like she could fucking eat them if yeah. she wanted to. Badgers are big. 
And then Kit had a note uh, <laughs> at this point in the summary, like, I can tell I'm not enjoying this as much as I say because I keep procrastinating I... on it. And I made a comment like, may Kit's memory I be a blessing. I literally took 10 minutes to go do dishes because it was just like, I, I, I need to take a break from this. I can't focus on this. So I literally went, I, I went to do dishes over reading. You can tell how much I was struggling if I chose to do dishes over reading a book. Like, yeah. I do, I do somewhat enjoy doing dishes, but I don't enjoy them that much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the rooks bring Ironbeak to the site of the attack, but it only serves to make him angry. Once more, he feels the birds are lying to him and letting their brains be addled by the warm southern sun. Because he's like, I don't see anything. There's no badger. There's no bird. What the fuck? And the rooks were like, it was right here. It happened like just a minute ago. And he's like, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Then where are they? We don't know. The raven spread his wings and hopped about near the pond, calling aloud, Earthcrawler, Rusty Bird, come out and fight me. It is I, General Ironbeak, Terror of the Northlands. There was no response. The raven turned to Mangiz, Mangiz and the rooks. See, it is the same as your ghost ma- as the ghost mouse. Get out of my sight, the useless lot of you. God. So... Down below, we learn the bird is a red kite. Strick red kite from Allrock Allrock, to be precise. Uh, The abbot tells her where she is and how they are friends. And she behaves pretty well after that, until the abbot wounds her pride by asking if her wing was broken. Uh, She tries to protest, but Sister May... But Sister May scolds her firmly. Strick is impressed by this and takes a liking to Sister May. And I make a note that Brian really gives us fun female kit. Like, I know I keep harping on about this, but he is really... You also made a stupid pun. Eh? Of all stripes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was... I Actually, I promise that one was not intended. I know it wasn't, but it, listen. It, it's there, yes. Kit. It is ingrained in it your is. DNA. <laughs> um, but, like, he's... Again, like, for a book written in, like, what, like, the 70s and 80s? I think he made some into the 90s. This one... This one was 89. Hold on. I I know why, because of later. But this one was written in 1989. And even back then, like, finding this many active female characters in fantasy books, not that common. Um, Although, surprisingly, you do see more of them in youth-aimed books. But we get, like, we get fighters like Jess, we get moms like Cornflower... And Sister May, who is a fighter in her own right, because when you work in the medical field with medical stuff, you need to be strong to impress upon your patients that they have to listen to you and they have to trust you if they want to get better. Yeah. And that... But also, I, I love, love Sister her May. I so much, yes. Sister May. I also, I really like that Strick, uh, uh, or Strike. Strick? Strike. strike? I've, I've been saying it Strike. Strike red kite. That would yeah. make more sense. Uh, like she calls Sister May good and good fierce. And fierce. This is May. Like, it's very good that immediately Strike is just impressed by yeah, Sister like, May. Like, hello, you are you are a feisty little little one. Hello, they're yes. girlfriends. I mean, she brings her hu- <laughs> her husband and kid to see her. So yes. Girlfriends. <laughs> Girlfriends. <laughs> so 
The rescuers find the sad, shattered remains of Loamhedge to be a veritable warren. Basil scouts a bit. He finds the rats. Like, there are tunnels everywhere. And there are so many fucking rats. Like, Basil's just like, Jesus Christ. Fantasy Jesus. (laughs) Martin Christ. Um... (laughs) By Martin's ghost. (laughs) That's actually... They've done that a few times. Martin is essentially... Where they've they've evoked the spirit Mm -hmm. of Martin the same way somebody would be like, Jesus fucking Christ. Or a saint, yeah. Uh, So, the plan is simple. Pick off any pack of rats that they find and keep moving further in until they find the kids. They trust to luck and uh, strike to the... You wrote that very They trust to luck and strike to the right passage. Yeah. Apologies. Is not how that reads, Kit. (laughs) So they pick the right side passage, trusting luck to lead them in the right direction. Listen, I'm I got ADHD. Can't do this. Sorry. We're starting to get also into the faster scenes or the ones that read mm-hmm. faster because they're fighty, which are much easier to so, summarize. Because like either either yes, I can hit just the exact blow by blow by blows, or it's just like all right, they fight a lot. They did a fight. They do a battle. Like how you describe a part of like Matthias and the Weeds yeah. fight. Like, the first part of it. So, Slagger is brought back to Malchorus, and he is given the command that he desired. He is given... uh, The caveat to this is he will be served by four score of the black-robed rats until winter. And if he remains true, Nadaz will increase that number to ten score and send slaves up to build him a fortress above ground. Of course... Slagger plans to betray him, but he's going to make sure that he has a strong grip on the upper lands before he does that. Does that? But as he marches upward, his thoughts are shattered by coming face to face with Orlando. Slagger barely dodges a beheading, and he and Nadaz are quick to throw the nameless grunt rats at the woodlanders to save their own skins as they flee. And the woodlanders, now in hot pursuit, sprint right by the cell holding their children. And the kids hear them, but it's too late. They're well past the cell. Like, they're like, we hear something outside. I think I hear my parents. And they like, are banging on the door like, it's us, it's us, let us out. But they are already well past. There's too much noise mm-hmm. for them to hear. It, it, Back it's, a on, pretty, it's a very, yes. it's a, it's, I like the pacing of the scene. It's like, we're getting in, like I said, the fast so it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Events are hitting yeah. in a very good, concise manner. Yeah. Back on the idol's ledge, Nadaz reports the invasion. He completely, like, throws a ceremony out the window. He's like, we yeah. have invaders. Malchorus blames Slagger for this and promises to deal with him later. Uh, like, immediately just like, all right, privileges revoked. You are in you are in trouble now. You're in hot shit. For now, he orders the rats to form up around his statue and has Nadaz sound the alarm to summon his horde. Which is like the banging of drums and like the rattling of his horrible skull mm. scepter. And the fight starts fast and brutal. Like it is it, it's, it's it's it gets 
into it real fast. Like, you've got just these waves of rats coming. And... Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, like, yes, they are... The rats are really good fighters because they do not break Mm-mm. form whatsoever. They don't freak out because they've got their, their like, the, they've got Malkaris and Nadaz behind them. They know that there are th- thousands of them. It, it's it's the power so of a slacker. fanatic, essentially. Yeah, it is. They're a cult. They're a cult. <laughs> they're a fucking cult. Anyway, Slagger uses the chance to slink away down the stairs. Uh, Orlando, Matthias, and Jess take out the rats on, on like, he... So Slagger is going down the stairs, down into the the the, the workings of the the underground city. Orlando, Matthias, and Jess are taking out rats on the stairs that they were coming mm-hmm. down. I think it, so. The, no, so the rats are coming Wait. up from the the rats are swarming up from the slave area where things are being built. They are fighting to keep them right. They had made it to the yeah. ledge. They had made it to the ledge because they were following Slagger, and Slagger is like, yeah. nope. And there are just so many rats coming up the stairs, and they're trying to fight them as best they can. Uh, and if the countless horde gets onto the ledge, they're okay, done Okay, and for. here is one of the times where I really went off on a tangent. Because I started thinking, like, these are, like, uh, like hundreds of rats, with the way it's described. Like, these are hundreds of rats. And it's like, how do they feed them all? Like, do they like do they go up and raid the orchards and the gardens? Like, do they have a like? Would you like my theory? Yes, I do like your theory. Oh no, would sorry, you yes, want please. it? They eat the slaves. Yeah, they probably do. But I'm guessing they also they like they have to eat fruit or they would get scurvy. So they have to be bringing down fruit. Well, yes, yes. but also. Cause rats, rats are omnivores. True. Uh, but the thing is, I made the I I was like they probably eat the slaves, and then I had like a much worse thought, which is, oh no, they eat the babies. I mean, I guess yes. A modest proposal. Yeah, terrible. And then I also said, I'm annoyed that I keep imagining uh, Indiana Jones and it was the Temple of Doom scene that really bad one set in a racist caricature of india with the screaming banshee of a woman god i hate her role like i don't blame the actress but i hate that role so much i hate that character the indiana jones movies are really they racist. are but some more than others um unpopular opinion well, yeah um the scene where they're like rescuing the kids from the mines and it's like the the kalima kalima guy or whatever yeah and i was like hold on a second actually so i went to google it and it's like madame mayo was published in 1989 temple of doom was put out in 1984 this was written for kids so if he was trying to evoke imagery from a Uh popular box office hit Uh of a movie like i think brian might have borrowed a little <laughs> and i'm angry about maybe just it a little I'm bit. Angry. just a, a bit. bit just a smidgen just a, just just a, a smidge. smidgen my only response to this whole tangent was just to say lmao i was tipsy so lagalog takes a a neck wound like he gets stabbed in the neck and goes down basil takes over uh what lagalog was doing shouting orders to the shrews 
he sends Cheek and a collection of shrews to get around behind the statue to launch a surprise attack. And Matthias realizes that they are far outnumbered and calls a retreat back to the passage they'd come from. A stalemate occurs. The rat's halfway onto the ledge and the rescuer's in the passageway. All the while, Nadaz keeps rattling his mouse skull-topped staff at them as if trying to cast a spell. Fun racist imagery right there. Uh, mm-hmm. They lick their wounds and Lagalog is in a very bad way. Uh, like, his, his bandage is soaked and he his voice is raspy. He calls for Flug, begging to be taken up into the sunshine so he won't die down here. Matthias agrees to send him on. To buy the others time, he tries to challenge Nadaz to single combat. To which when Nadaz To which I made yes. the comment of, ah yes, honor culture at its finest. Because like this was a thing that they would actually do. Like they didn't like sometimes you just don't want to send your whole army out to fight and kill each other because your army was usually farmers and stuff who fed you. So you wanted to keep his, the, the loss of life to as little as possible. So they'd be like, all right, who's your best fighter? Okay, him. All right, who's our best fighter? Okay, you. Okay, you two fight each other. If whoever loses, you're the winner because we really don't want to do this today. So that's kind of what they would do. It's yeah. like, it was just like, you you hear all the stories of like, uh, the challenge to single combat. It was it was the way for generals and people to save face while still resolving a battle without immense, unnecessary bloodshed. Yeah. So. Yeah. so There's uh, a little history tidbit for you. When Nadaz, yeah, when Nadaz doesn't respond, uh, Matthias moves to daring anyone to take him on. When Orlando tries to join him, Matthias says no. He needs him to get the others out safely. Just as they settle this, a hulking creature somewhere between a ferret and a stoat arrives on the ledge. We writ the slave master is to be Matthias's opponent. And he's described as having like uh let me get the actual yeah. description while you talk so about your pretty note much I put here. the note like Brian really likes to fall back on like ugly strange hybrid creatures like i feel it kind of gross like hybrid or primitive he uses that a lot like oh it's this primitive hulking creature and it really does exemplify that this is from like late 80s early 90s because like if you look at a lot of children's lit during that time or like movies and stuff like that the bad guy often was like this big hulking thing because a kid you know when you're a kid you see all like most of the things that you're scared of are big and hulking um but it's still, I'm not a big fan of it because it feels cheap. Like, oh, we need somebody to fight. All right, call in this big, ugly, monstrous thing. That way you won't feel bad when it gets Like, it's a bad guy. We already aren't going to feel bad when it gets killed. <laughs> like, you don't need to make it yeah. into, like, a physical monster. We already know this one is a monster because he's a slave master. He could have just been a big, gnarly rat. But instead, he's just this yeah. weird thing. Yep. So, the description is, It was a huge rodent somewhere between a ferret and a stoat. The beast looked like a primeval throwback. It had no ears and practically no neck. The hulking head perched squat upon its heavy shoulders, leered evilly through curved and stained teeth. Sinew and muscles stood out like great cords all over its body, and heavy spiked iron bands ringed its paws and waist. It carried a stabbing spear of fearsome size, and a weighted net. Nadaz made an evil, sniggering noise. 
Matthias of Redwall, who fears no beast, this is your challenger. Weret the Slave Master. I also just realized something. Like, there, there's a... First of all, uh, ferret one, ferrets and stoats, no. not rodents. Second of all, that's not going to be a really big no. creature. You're going to get another yeah. ferret. Um, And they're not that physically different either. It's No, stoats are just really yeah. little. Um, But... And another thing I realized that, like, British authors like to use to, like, make somebody seem hulkish and brutal is the lack of a neck. Like, just, like, I feel like I've read that in a lot of books where it's, like, if you want to emphasize someone yes. is, like, not necessarily stupid, but they're, like, strong and dense, like, muscularly dense or physically solid, they lack a neck. I mean, I just, I remember, yeah. like... The incredibly fat phobic she, the she who is the turf queen, um, always described Dudley as having <laughs> Dudley and like the Dursleys in general, except for Petunia, having very little neck. Like they're always described as having no neck or too much neck or like too many chins. You know, so like they're just like the head squarely on the shoulders. And I feel like there's another yep. character. Oh, there's another character I've read where they described it as like. The head solidly placed on square, like there, like there was no neck. The head was solidly placed on square shoulders, but I can't remember what book it's from. Ooh, that's gonna bug me now. See, I'm just always reminded when people describe like huge, hulking, strong characters like this. I'm reminded of the way that people treated Andre yes. the Giant as a person. He was such a sweetheart. God, it makes me sad. Yeah. Um, yes. Anyway. <laughs> the Weirith is weird and honestly kind of racist. Because, <laughs> like, this is this is a, a half-breed yeah. of some yeah. kind. Which, again, is kind of like... Because mm, so, you notice that uh, yeah. the Abbey folks are always very careful to, like, always stick within their species when it comes to falling in love or getting married. Then you have this weird weasel ferret stoat, mm -hmm. the Weerit. Which is described as being monstrous and a beast. I still think he might be part, like... Oh, definitely. Like, the way he's drawn, that thing is not actually a mustelid. Not, not at all. Not a pure all. blood one, anyway. Uh, so, now we're back at the Abbey. Uh, and... <laughs> Strike is refusing Abby food since she is strictly a predator. You know, they tried to feed her wine, they tried to feed her, like, some of their, like, baked goods, and she doesn't want any of it. So they they finally give in and give her some of the to water To which I post a comment of, and she thank says, God, a predator who actually acts like a predator. And my tipsy comment was, give meat! <laughs> give meat! God, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> let's go! Uh, same. Let's go, let's same. go. I know we're supposed to order lunch, but I don't know what we're ordering. So, uh, so Striker uh, settles down to a nap. Uh, Rolo is warned not to go down there. He keeps trying to go down there, uh, but they don't trust the big bird to not eat him because she is a huge bird. Um, they learned that her nest had fallen and that's how she hurt her wing. She had made a nest on a branch sticking out from the mountain. It rotted and the entire thing fell and she didn't have a mate to help her. So she was, like, on the ground for a while being just harassed by other birds before she finally was like, mm -hmm. I have to leave. Uh, she still refuses to let anybody look at it. 
Uh, the abbot dismisses it as unimportant for now. They need to focus on the other bird mm, problem. Which is... He wants Cornflower to stop her masquerade, knowing that sooner or later, Ironbeak will hurt her. Uh, she protests, begging for one more night, and he relents. Tonight will be the last night. And there's this line that's just very funny. They give him baby Rolo as they all go off like Cornflower's sister May and Constance. And he's like, and I'm left holding the baby as usual. Good. <laughs> Let the women do the good shit while the abbot sits around holding the baby. <laughs> it's really cute, though. Useless man thing. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Useless man thing. I'm fucking falling. <laughs> That's a TikTok. That's a, a popular TikTok audio from it's not last just, year. It's a very good visual meme too. <laughs> so the leader of their problem, Ironbeak, relates his problems to Mangaze. He knows this is his last chance at a soft life. The North is too cold, too hard, and he and Mangaze are getting too old for this. Mangaze decides to run with it, happy that he's back in Ironbeak's good graces. He dismisses the ghost, dismisses the red bird as illusions caused by the heat. Ironbeak asks if his visions are clear. Mangus says they are. They have a good life at the Redstone House ahead of them. They just have to be patient to deal with those in Cavern Hole. It's the first lie he's ever told Ironbeak. And it's really sad because like, you feel like... It feels like these birds would have been honorable to each other in a way like they 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 don't backstab each other they definitely have that culture of like respect and trust that we don't see it's weird how redwell seems to like make villains do stupid well, it's because shit. they're like facing offense that they haven't before and also definitely like martin goes in and fucks around with them um martin's just like it's time mm-hmm. to addle their brains and again like i'm gonna dig my little ghosty fingers in there um <laughs> I feel like there's a, a pun here but with ghost and lobotomy, but I can't think of it right now. Um, anyway, I I also my brain. I will think. I'll, I'll think of it like three days later. We still have so much to Let's get go. through. We can do this. We can do this. I know. <laughs> Come on. The general is pleased and tells his army to rest. Mangis feels a little guilty over the lie, but he prefers the compliments over the kicks he would get for the truth. As night falls, Constance preps for her ghost routine, and Sister May proposes something else, though. Constance and Cornflower heartily agreeing to it. And the Rooks, of course, are having trouble sleeping since they'd napped all afternoon. Their attempts are shattered by the ghostly voice. Leave our abbey and death that waits outside this room. They are frightened silly by the sight of the helmet hovering outside the dormitory window, empty except for a ghostly mist. With no escape and wits rattled, they duck under their beds. The three ladies escape to the tunnel, just barely holding in their laughs until then. They're highly pleased with their trick, using a pole to float the helmet, until poor Cornflower is hit with grief over her missing husband and son. The other two don't blame her for it, though. Essentially, um... She realizes that they would really like this prank mm-hmm. and just gets very sad, which it's, is fair. Yeah, it's a really, it's like a shockingly realistic and down to earth moment um, in this chapter. Because like, that's how grief works. She's like, using the prank to cope. Mm-hmm. 
Like one minute you're doing fine, the next minute it hits you all over again and you're back at square one, you know? Yep. Yep, 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 yeah. yep, yep. listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abby Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye! <laughs>